We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, regular guest on the show, Joe Maycar. Joe, Nets lost tonight, 128-109 to the Blazers. How are we doing? We're doing okay. Not the best uh, game for the Nets today. Portland sort of blew this game open towards the end of the third quarter. Went on this huge run, inflated the lead to double digits, and they just seemed to pull away at that point. Yep, Nets just kind of lack some of that juice. We're going to jump into that and plenty more. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But Joe, in your eyes, what were the main components to this loss for the Nets? I would definitely say it falls on defense tonight. Obviously, the offense wasn't clicking as a usual unit. You know, they were missing some shots that they normally make at a higher clip. But at the same time, it's just nothing you could do when Damian Lillard is shooting from 35 feet. And you're trying to close out on him. You know he could shoot that far. But what are your other options? Leave Carmelo open. Melo was cooking all game. Covington started to cook towards the end of that third quarter. This Portland team just has a ton of offensive options. And even with McCollum having an off game, uh, we know their bigs are just Nets killers, two of them. They have both Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor, both of which are just big, big bodies who love to dominate the paint. And with the Nets lineup, who rotates between basically Blake Griffin, Nicholas Claxton, who didn't play tonight, and DeAndre Jordan, that's just a tall task for them. Yeah, and like you said, you know, Blazers scored 36 points in the second quarter, 35 points in the third quarter, and 34 points in the fourth quarter. And even in that first quarter where they scored 23, they just missed a ton of open shots. And, you know, some of it is probably matchup related, but some of it's just lack of engagement and energy from the Nets. I think when you play a team like this and you're going to blitz Damian Lillard and try to force the ball out of his hands on a regular basis, your rotations have to be very crispy. Same thing with your communication. And you really didn't get that from the Nets tonight. And then even offensively, they weren't fully there. Like you mentioned, defensively is probably the bigger component, but offensively they just looked a little stagnant, especially against a team that's not really good defensively. It's not like they're an elite defense by any standard, and you typically can attack their bigs in a pick-and-roll situation. Nets just missed a lot of shots, too, offensively, you know, from Kyrie Irving to Tyler Johnson, whoever it was, just a lot of missed open looks tonight, and it's going to be hard to win, but you know, like we were talking about before we jumped on, second out of a back-to-back, Nets did definitely look a little fatigued from Kyrie Irving to Blake Griffin, and that surely played a role. Yeah, definitely. And with this Nets team, obviously they're gunning for the first seed. The first seed, in case you don't know by now, makes a whole world of difference in the sense that, okay, you look at the potential path they'll have to go through. 
you're probably going to play one of either Washington or Indiana compared to Miami, Boston, or I'm forgetting who's in that eight seed right now. But the path is every day. <laughs> exactly. Um, you would only have to play one of Milwaukee or Philly in the playoffs compared to if you're the two or three seed and have to play both of them. So obviously we want to get that first seed, but the Nets have shown in the past, like, hey, we don't really care about the first seed. We want to be healthy. And obviously that's the top priority. As fans, yes, we want that first seed. We want home court advantage, even though it means a little bit less this year. We want all these nice things, but at the same time, health is a priority. If this team is going to rest players, I know it's not necessarily in popular fan interest. I know people paying to go to games. I know fans who tune in to watch the games, national TV who puts us on ESPN, ABC, etc. They want to see our stars playing, but at the same time, it's about the long game here. 16 games in the playoffs is worth a whole lot more than the 72-game regular season. And with the Nets, with Steve Nash, that's just the approach they've taken this year. 100%, and especially with all the injuries they've had. You know, we're talking about their best player, Kevin Durant, coming off a torn Achilles, dealt with a hamstring injury this year, you know, had the thigh contusion as well. You want him healthy. You know, he's the difference in terms of winning a playoff series and losing a playoff series. He's that good of a player. And the same thing with James Harden. So, like you said, health is the number one concern. One seed would be great, but it's not the end of the world because if the Nets truly can be as good as we think they can be, it really won't matter because they're that much more talented than every other team in the Eastern Conference, and that's no disrespect to them. It's just the amount of talent they have in this team and Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and a ton of great role players. So, again, like you said, Joe, not the end of the world, but we'll still break down the game. Talking about one of those stars tonight, Kyrie Irving, a little bit off for him tonight, 28 points, 12 of 26 in the field, 2 of 8 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, and 1 turnover. Yeah, not a bad game from Kyrie, but definitely not to the point we're used to seeing on the season. He's almost at 50, 40, 90 for the year. If I had to guess, if I'm being realistic, he'll probably fall a little short of that. If I had to guess, maybe 38% from 3, uh, 49, or maybe he cuts the 50 field goal percentage. But at the same time, this is a guy who's a essentially shouldering the offensive load. Kevin Durant sitting back-to-backs, as we know. that's He wants to play, but as we just mentioned, the coaching staff kind of wants to hold him on this leash for now. Uh, James Harden is going to miss probably up until the playoffs, we've heard. Yep. So it's up to Kyrie to really shoulder the team. And I feel like a little bit at times, similar to what we saw in Boston, it might be a little too much. Kyrie is a phenomenal number two option on a title team. As a number one option, you just see defenses start to close out on him a little more. And while he's great at attacking double teams, he's not necessarily best suited as a Batman, but more of a Robin. A great Robin for that sense. He's a perfect number two option. But he's best when you have a true, I'd say, top eight, top seven player paired with him, as we saw with LeBron in Cleveland, and as we're seeing now with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, it works with Kyrie for a stretch of games, but you definitely can sense some fatigue and frustration, you know, and also settling a little bit for those jumpers, especially against a team like Portland, you know, Nurkic and his canter, really not much of rim protectors in terms of what Kyrie Irving can do. And I think that's what's a little frustrating sometimes as a fan is like, hey, you know, it's four seconds in the possession. You're pulling up for a mid-range shot. That's something you can kind of get at any single point. But like you said, you know, it can be kind of correlated to some of the frustration and, 
and some of the attention that he's getting defensively. And also the Nets don't necessarily have another great creator with Harden and Durant out. You know, if a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie was healthy, that'd be making, you know, Kyrie Irving's life that much easier. So again, you know, not one of his best games, but there's, there's a reason why. For sure. And with Kyrie, it's about getting in the rhythm, you know, this year he's been better, but in the past he's had some very bad injuries. Last year, we remember he took that cortisone shot yeah. for his shoulder, which essentially brought him back for about two to three weeks, but we all knew that shot wasn't going to hold up, of which case early February he needed surgery, which would end his season. Um, this is a guy who just, knock on wood, but doesn't have the best injury history. We hope he could keep this up. We hope he can maintain this level of consistency. He only averages about, I think I saw in an 82-game season, he averages about 62 a year. So come playoff time, as long as he's healthy, that's all you want from Kyrie. We've yeah. seen he's been on this biggest stage before, and he's confident in his abilities, and he, he believes in his teammates as well. The Nets have a good surrounding core. Yeah, and I think also, you know, you want to make sure that he's not fatigued going to the postseason, get him some rest like he previously did on the back-to-back. So see what happens on that front. Uh, former star Blake Griffin, who obviously is playing for the Nets now, had a little bit of a rough game tonight on the second night of a back-to-back, something he typically doesn't do. Played 23 minutes, 11 points, 4-12 from the field, 2-7 from deep, 1-1 from the free-throw line, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 block. You know, he did have good moments in this game, but at different points, even pointed out by Ian Eagle, he looked like he was gassed. Yeah, definitely. And again with Blake, this also comes down to rhythm as well. If you think about it, Blake Griffin almost never... I think he's done it once before tonight, played in a back-to-back. This is a guy who essentially, they sit him because he has, he has a prior history of knee injuries. Now with Nicholas Claxton not in the fold for the time being until he works his way back up from the COVID break, um, he's kind of forced into action in terms of Blake Griffin. He's not used to it at the same time. I don't want to make excuses for him, but at the same time, you could see something's a little off. He did have his good moments, as he said. A couple good and ones at the beginning of the game. Did miss a handful of open threes, but that's going to come and go, especially if you're not necessarily known as a shooter. Um, I think it's just maybe a little bit of fatigue, but nothing major for Blake. I'd fully expect him to bounce back on Sunday. Yeah, I think if he hits a couple more threes, it goes from being maybe a below average game to above average or whatever it might be. Uh, there was obviously, like you, like I mentioned, you mentioned some good moments offensively, defensively. You know, he is very smart in terms of the back line of the defense. You saw Steve Nash kind of like to have uh, Jeff Green on Nurkic and then put Blake Griffin on Robert Covington allowing, you know, the guard to get the switch out because Blake could come off of Covington and get onto Nurkic down low in the paint. So just a little wrinkle, something that he provides. He's pretty quick at doing that. And it's kind of just an important thing when it comes to the postseason, especially with the switching scheme that the Nets do play. Quiet game for Landry Shaman as well. Eight points, two of seven from the field, two of six from three, two of three from the free throw line, three rebounds, one assist, one steal, two blocks, one turnover. He did have a handful of very good defensive possessions in this game, but offensively he never found his rhythm. And some credit goes to Portland for kind of pushing the Nets three-point shooters off the line. Yeah, definitely. With Shamit, what we see different now, I've brought this up in the past, but what we see different now, Shamit in April, even last month in March, compared to what we saw from Shamit in December and January, is even when he's missing shots, just look at his follow-through, look at his stance, look at his yep. body motions. He looks a lot more confident. And obviously, role players, I've said this before, role players are role players because essentially they kind of lack a form of consistency for the most part. I feel like Shamit is in that same way. This yep. is a guy who could be scorching hot as we saw in the Miami game, 
but he's also a guy who could tend to go a little cold. I wouldn't say today was a very cold night, just maybe a below average shooting night, not up to par, I'd say. That being said, you know Landry Shamit, unlike a couple other shooters in the league who I don't want to attack anybody, so I won't say any names, but a couple shooters in the league, if they're missing their shots, they're almost like a liability in the court. Landry Shamit, at least you know for the most part, he's going to be playing solid defense on the, on the other end. He could handle point guard responsibilities if needed. Um, and his ability to even cut to the basket, I found even increasingly better. He's thrown down a couple jams in the past. Yeah, I think that's spot on about Shamit Joe. You know, the consistency is the real difference for him because at times he looked like looks like he could take that next step as a player and maybe even be, you know, a starting level guy. Right now it's kind of just maintaining some consistency. You're going to have off nights as a player, trying to have maybe a little bit bigger impact in the scoring department, like you mentioned, get a little bit more to the rim, put up a couple more mid-range jumpers, whatever it might be. But it's always good to see the confidence in his three-point stroke, and that's really been the difference for him in the second half of the season. But going to the other sharp... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shooter on the team. Um, a little bit better game for Joe Harris, but mostly just because of the offense. He got going in the second half. 12 points, 5-8 from the field, 2-3 from deep, uh, 3 rebounds, and oh, 3 assists, my mistake, and 1 rebound. Joe, another player who was kind of pushed off the line by Portland's defense, but he found a way to have an impact here and there. Just not necessarily a huge night for him. Yeah, and with Joe Harris, I also have mentioned this in the past, but it remains true. As you see these guys start to get healthy in the nets, he's going to get pushed down the totem pole, but that's actually a good thing for the nets. And I'm sure Harris doesn't mind. He's a very small ego, not going to be very boisterous about this player. He's essentially going to go from right now the second or third offensive player to maybe the fifth, fourth best option on this team. Where, okay, you now have your fourth or fifth best opposing player guarding Joe Harris. Running around without the ball. Joe Harris's off-ball movement, as we know, is a thing of beauty to watch. Very reminiscent of like a J.J. Redick who just exhausts the opponent. Um, and think about it. If he's running off the three-point line, if he's even cutting to the rim, exhausting the opponent who's guarding him. On the other end, if you think about it this way, that's also making the other team's offense a little bit worse. So with Joe Harris, uh, just getting the guys healthy, establishing a rhythm. We've seen that little improved mid-range jump shot, which I like to see from him. Yep. Uh, to me, <laughs> it's just a mystery why his free throw shooting is not that great yet. It's honestly life's biggest mystery, as I always <laughs> say. But with Joe Harris, going to come and go, but for the most part, he's going to be very consistent. I thought in the second half, he found his offense. 
Yeah, I think he's just a guy that's going to benefit from having less attention. And when the stars are out, he's just going to get more attention. That's just the way it's going to be because there's other guys that you can come help off of. You know, we mentioned Blake Griffin had seven three-point attempts. They were really okay with him shooting that. They're going to get more attention to guys like Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, and Landry Shamit. But overall, not a bad game for Joe Harris. Uh, Jeff Green, the final starter, 16 points, 5 of 9 from the field, 3 of 5 from deep, 3 of 4 from the free throw line, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 steal. Solid game for Jeff Green, you know, continues to do this every single night. Three-point shot was looking a little bit better in this one. It feels like he got a little bit more arc on the shot tonight, which hopefully kind of helps him moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And with shooters, I find a lot of times that they're off, it's definitely issues with their arc. Like, I notice a lot of players just tend to shoot them short or flat. Yeah. Um, Jeff Green hasn't really had this issue. He's got a nice arc on his shot. And in the past, like, week, week and a half, two weeks, Jeff Green has just been on a tear. As you said tonight, 16 points on very efficient shooting. This isn't necessarily a guy who people, who opposing teams plan to game plan against, but at the same time, he's a player who needs to command respect. Um, what Jeff Green is doing at 34 years old is incredible. A couple of years ago in Cleveland, everyone kind of looked at him and said, oh, just another washed veteran on a ring-chasing team. But at, look at him now. Essentially, Jeff Green might be the best bargain in all of basketball. It's debatable. But he's definitely in the consideration. He's making just a little over $2 million a year. Definitely due for a pay raise after the season, as much as we hate to think about it. <laughs> but Jeff Green, just in terms of what he brings off the court, in terms of veteran presence, locker room presence, his relationship with the staff and players, and what he brings on the court in terms of a high-level consistency and veteran leadership, um, Jeff Green is really irreplaceable on this Nets team, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the versatility which he provides and the consistency and just being that solid vet for the team that can fill in so many different roles. Like you said, he's been a steal. He's been a big component of this team. And he's he's really the guy that's going to end up getting the most open shots just because he's the least talented, you know, like the five in the closing lineup, be it Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Joe Harris. If that's the closing five, you know, who do you want to give the open three to? It's going to be Jeff Green, and that's no disrespect to him. He's just not the same level offensive player those guys are. So definitely good to see his three-point shot going down. Another guy who didn't necessarily have his best game tonight, uh, Mike James, 15 points, 6 of 15 from the field, 1 of 4 from deep. Three assists, one rebound, two turnovers. Some of those shot attempts came in um, the the closing minutes when it was kind of garbage time, but probably a little bit too much, a little too trigger happy in some points in this game. Yeah, I definitely describe trigger happy as the adjective to <laughs> describe Mike James tonight. Um, this is a guy who was basically a star overseas. I believe he played in Moscow, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. He has said in the past, I remember after his first game, he said, I played overseas because I preferred being like the star over there compared to like a backup over here in the USA and the NBA. So at the same time, I'm not sure what maybe led him to have a change of heart. He's been great for us, let's be honest. But at the same time, I do agree with you in the sense he's been a little trigger happy. Um, the backup point guard off the bench, unless you're like, to be honest, no disrespect to Mike James, he has been great. Unless you're like a Spencer Dinwiddie type, or a Jordan Clarkson type, I don't think you should be taking 15 shots a game. But that's just my take. You do no, take I think that's fair. Yeah, you take what the defense gives you, but at the same time, we did see some step-back threes that maybe a Kyrie or a James Harden would take. Um, but at the same time, I do like his ability to get to the rim. I like how he does have a sense of offense for a backup point guard, which is a little rare in the NBA nowadays. And he's just a playmaker. We saw a couple nice dimes to Blake Griffin tonight knows how to find shooters, um, 
Just the intelligent basketball guys, the shot selection that has to improve, though. Yeah, you definitely see the skills and some of the components he has. And then he even had that one pass where I think he put a little bit too much dazzle on it for Alizé Johnson. And it was just like, you know, throw the right pass in that situation. Obviously, you know, he's new to this team. He's not, not necessarily, you know, an elite NBA player by any standard. So this type of thing is expected. There's a reason he signed to a 10-day contract. And you mentioned he wanted to be a star overseas, but I don't think the market for him would be extremely high regardless. But uh, talking about Alizé Johnson, you know, didn't have the same night that he had against the Pacers. No 2020 game for him tonight. He had a couple good moments, but you saw some of the struggles. I think defensively, he's a little bit too handsy, and you saw him get in foul trouble tonight. Four fouls and giving away, you know, free throw attempts that weren't really necessary. Six points, 12 rebounds, two assists for Alize. Yeah, definitely. With Alize, it's important to remember, and especially a lot of these younger players, they're not at all a complete product. Now, I know the pressure is on because this is a championship team and whatnot, but the pros he brings to the team definitely, I'd say, outweigh the cons in terms of another energy guy to really, especially with Bruce Brown not playing, Alize is that energy guy. He's the guy who's crashing the boards. He's the guy who's jumping up and down in the paint trying to, I, I just said crashing the boards, my bad. He's the guy jumping up and down in the paint trying to finish through contact. Um, this is a guy who the Nets love to have, who they found in the G League. So, of course, he's going to be a little raw, but in terms of what he gives you, um, just another steal from Sean Marks and a great guy off the bench. Play him in just maybe, say, hmm, 14, maybe at most 20 minutes a game, and he's going to provide you with some great production. Yeah, I think Alizé has, you know, a chance to be in the rotation when there's injuries, but when guys are healthy, I'm not sure how much of a role he plays because, like you mentioned, he is raw, and some yeah. of that sticks out. But in a 72-game season, typically 82, you do need these type of energy guys to give you that boost. And obviously, he does do that. He's a hungry player, and it seems like his teammates love him from Kevin Durant to Landry Shaman, whoever it is on the squad. I'm uh, just talking about the last couple guys. DeAndre Jordan did not have a DMP tonight. Uh, he played 19 minutes, 7 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists. You know, he had some okay moments, but obviously, you know, the cons of his game are always going to stick out. Just does not move that well defensively and against a team like the Blazers that have Damian Lillard who can shoot from the logo and even a center in Joseph Nurkic who can handle the ball in the short roll. It's just going to stick out a little bit more for DeAndre. So there was points where he really struggled tonight in a few positives, I would, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for DeAndre... This is just a tough matchup for him in the sense that Portland could essentially play, if not a five-out, without a doubt, a four-out lineup of guys who would just shoot the ball and move the ball around the perimeter. Lillard, McCollum, Carmelo Anthony, Norman Powell, who we haven't discussed, but he's great for them. Um, feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but Yusuf Nurkic could even stretch the floor. I mean, you got you got Dame Lillard, you got C.J. McCollum, you got uh, Robert Covington, you got Norman Powell, you got oh, Fernie Simons. Yeah, you got Mello. Simons. I mean, that, yeah, and Simons this, was just, this man is just straight cooking over the last few exactly. weeks. Good for him. But uh, go ahead, team Joe. is just consisting of shooter after shooter after guy who can get into the paint. And for a player like DeAndre, we've seen he's better suited for matchups against guys who attack the paint more. So like Embiid, while we know there's no answer for him, DeAndre Jordan played him well. Giannis in the game on, I think it was MLK Day in January, when he was attacking the paint left and right, DeAndre played him well. When it's a team like Portland who does their damage from the outside primarily, DeAndre tends to struggle. And like you said, it's because he's a little bit older, a little bit more limited mobility, uh, I'd say 
vertically and a little horizontally at this point. Yep. Uh, just a game you kind of wish Nicholas Claxton was playing. We saw the first matchup against Portland where Claxton kind of had Lord and McCollum in a jail, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Claxton's ability to switch on the perimeter is very underrated. I know we all miss James Harden, but at the same time, we can't really understate what Claxton means to this team, even as like a 22-year-old. Claxton's defense is just such a big part of this uh, team. Yeah, defensive energy provides not only in the switching, but some of the weak side rim protection, just the deflections in the passing lanes, and also just a guy who's going to sprint in transition. And on the second end of a back-to-back, some of these older players got beat in transition defense. They're just not going to have the juice, and that's the difference in having a guy like Nick Claxton. And one of the guys that usually provides good energy and consistently off the bench had probably one of his rougher nights of the season. That was Tyler Johnson, finished the night with zero points, 0-4 from three, one rebound, one assist, just Tyler was a little bit off tonight. Obviously, you know, he's not going to be perfect every night. Like you mentioned with role players, they're going to be inconsistent. And tonight was one of his inconsistent performances. Yeah, definitely. Just a inconsistent performance from Tyler Johnson. I felt like he was kind of a little lost today. Maybe it's the high octane offense of Portland at the same time. But with Tyler Johnson, I want to be too worried. All of four is not a huge sample size. Like you miss one or two shots and you kind of get yourself in this mental funk. But Tyler Johnson is definitely going to be a key member of this rotation. One healthy, maybe even a back back end rotation member, or like a first man up if there's an injury. But at the same time, he does provide great defense. He runs, he hustles. Um, Tyler Johnson's a guy you like to have in Brooklyn. Yeah, for sure. You know, not you know, just not one of his best games. But uh, Joe, anything else in terms of this game that you want to mention? Yeah, definitely. While Philly is uh, starting to creep up on us for that first seed, I believe they're half game out after this game if i'm not mistaken i think they won their game tonight yep the nets lost their game yeah the nets have a half game lead currently yeah definitely it's getting a little tighter but at the same time i don't think a fan of either team if you're a nets fan if you're a sixers fan i don't think either one of you should be worried because as long as both teams are healthy come playoff time you gotta be comfortable with your odds yeah, 100 percent. And like we talked about earlier, you know, health is an number one priority for any team going to the postseason, especially with some of the limited home court, depending on, you know, what state you live in, where the COVID regulations will be at that time. And obviously we did get some news on Nick Claxton today that he's likely going to be out another week dealing with some ramp up. And, you know, that's a smart thing. You don't want to rush him back into an injury. But I think that wraps it up. Joe, always a pleasure. Big thanks, to everybody, for listening. Catch the buzz on all streaming platforms.